And today, we really get to the the ending part of the passage that we are looking at this season. We're looking at verses 1 through 18, and today we'll be there in those last uh, four verses, verse 14 through 18. We'll be there this week, and then we'll be there a little bit uh, next week as well. But I want to invite you to flip there. I also want you to, once you get your place in John 1, I want you to mark it. I want you to make sure, put your outline there, do whatever you can to mark it. But then I want you to turn all the way back to the second book of the Bible, to the book of Exodus. And I want you to meet me in chapter 33. Chapter 33. All right. Here's why I'm going to jump straight in. Is that today we're going to look at these well-known verses. So verses 14 to 18, and specifically look at this verse right here. The word became flesh. The word became human. God became a man. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That's the main text that we'll look at today and these other verses that come after that in John 1 will help develop this thought. It will help make much of this proclamation of who the word is and what he has done and the glory that we can see in the son, Jesus Christ. But what we wanna do is this, is we want to find uh, or, or meet John where John was as he was writing John 1. We want to best understand what he's thinking when he's inspired by the Holy Spirit as he pens what we're going to study. And so verse 14 through 18, I'm going to make an argument that I believe is, I believe very clear from scripture, but an argument to what it is that John is thinking about when he writes these well-known words. It's an argument that I believe is easily made, but I wanna tell you this, I believe it's an observation that's easily overlooked. The reason why I can say that is this, is I've preached numerous times from John 1 in the fairly short ministry that I have, okay? So we're, we're starting year 14. In 14 years, I've preached through John 1 or used this text probably about as many times as I've used any passage uh, in the Bible, maybe Romans 8 a little more, maybe 2 Corinthians 5 a few more times, but that's about it, okay? This is one that is very well known to me. It's very well known probably to most of you. And here's what I found this week is that many times as I have preached through this, I have compartmentalized John 1 in a way that I believe God would not have us do. I believe it's fine that I did it. I believe that there was much uh, excitement and uh, I, I mean transformation that occurred as I've studied it and preached it in times past. But when you bring it together, when you bring these observations from God's word that I believe are easily overlooked and you put them together as you study John chapter one, verses 14 to 18, I believe it takes something that might be to you black and white and brings it into full color. I believe it can change the way that you see it and feel and, and honestly respect and be amazed by God and his word. And so today we're going to look really at two different places uh, in the scriptures, but one is John 1, verse 14 to 18. But I'm gonna make the argument that what John is thinking about as he writes this and what we should think about, and I don't think, I think once you see it, you're not gonna be able to unsee it, okay? Okay. 
that, that we want to be able to, as we study John 1, 14 to 18, we want to be able to think on what John is thinking on, and that is Exodus 33 and Exodus 34. And so I want to invite you now to meet me in the book of Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33, this is a fantastic passage. The context of it is, is fairly easy to get you to. The Lord has met Moses on the mountain. He has given him the 10 commandments. He has spoken uh, to him now for 40 days. Like he met, he's met with him. During the time that he was meeting with uh, Moses, that God was meeting with Moses on the mountain, God's people were being absolutely ridiculous, doing what we oftentimes do, being absolutely absurd with our faith. Like you can see the visible, the visible manifestation of God's glory on the mountain and yet they got bored where they were and asked Aaron to get them a golden calf so they could worship. Aaron is... Yeah, well, he did it, okay? And so he, he whips them up. He acts like it was an accident, but he whips them up a golden calf. He provides it for them. God's people worship. They give honor to this golden calf and, uh, and they celebrate the golden calf in a time of worship and celebration of their deliverance. It's unbelievable. Well, Moses gets word from God, this has taken place. And I don't know if you remember this, but he, he comes down, he breaks the tablets. Like he is an angry guy. He breaks the, the tablets that the 10 commandments were on. And then God brings judgment upon the people. It's really a terrible scene, Exodus 33. I mean, Exodus 32. Is. Exodus 33 is a time that we're gonna pick back up. God is going to speak to Moses. He's gonna say, hey, Moses, listen, uh, you go to the promised land, depart, go to the land that I promised you. Here's the catch. I am not gonna come with you. You and the people, y'all go to the promised land. I'm not coming with you. Moses, praise the Lord, was not okay with that. And he said, it's in your very presence that your people uh, are, are find their purpose. Like it's in you being with us that we have life. If you don't go, I'm not going. Moses, in that scene, he, uh, as, as he interacts with the Lord, he says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Let me see your glory. And we're told that the Lord showed his goodness to Moses. He came and we'll read it in just a little bit, but he showed himself to Moses. Moses was able to see, if you'll remember, he had the hand of God covering him up and keeping him in the cleft of the rock and the Lord passed by and Moses saw his back only as the Lord declared his glory to Moses. The glory of his goodness, the glory of who he is. He declares it to Moses. John is thinking about this scene when he writes to us the words, the word became flesh, he dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. Glory is the only son of the father full of grace and truth. I wanna show you why we need to see this and how it will help us in at least three different ways, okay? So we're gonna see that I know John is thinking about Exodus 33 for at least several reasons. The first is this, consider the word dwelt. Consider the word dwelt. And so if you're a note taker, I would really encourage you to do it today. Uh, this is one of those things, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, write in your Bible. But if, you're, if you wanna be wise or more than likely with as fast as I talk, I would write in your notes and then go back and study this during the week and then take notes in your Bible, okay? But this is gonna be some good stuff. 
It's really good stuff. So we wanna consider the word dwelt first and how it connects to Exodus 33 and 34. We're told in John 1, the word became flesh. The word became a human and he dwelt among us. The word dwelt there is a word that is, I know you've heard it many times, but it can be translated tabernacled among us. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. So the word of God became flesh. And I believe this is probably the clearest way. Pitched his tent among us. He made his residence among us. Now, this has been something that I've always enjoyed preaching, that God would tabernacle among us, that he would pitch his tent, that he would be near to us, that he would dwell with us. But if we think about this in the context of what we see in the book of Exodus, it's phenomenal. See, the Lord made a way to dwell with his people in the book of Exodus. Chapter 25 of Exodus, he tells Moses, he he gives him uh, this declaration. He says, I want you to build me a sanctuary and it will be in that sanctuary that I make my glory known to you. Do exactly as I say. Chapter 26 is how to build the tabernacle. The tent of meeting, it is oftentimes called. And so what we find is now a pattern starting there in Exodus where God's people, and specifically we wanna see Moses, that he will go and he will pitch the tent of meeting. He will, uh, he, he will put up the tent and it will be in that tent that he will go and he will meet with God, that he will dwell in the presence of God. God will manifest himself uh, before Moses. It's not just Moses this happens to, but Moses is kind of the, he's the poster child for the one that would meet with God, okay? And so we wanna see him as that. And so what we see here is like an example. Look look with me at Exodus 33, starting in verse seven. This is an example of how the tent was put up and then how Moses would meet with God. Verse seven says this, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord, they would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and they would worship each at his tent door. Look at verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from that tent. And so that kind of gives you an idea of what it was like. Like the people would know when Moses goes, when he puts up the tent and he goes into it, God is going to dwell with him. God will be there present with him. His glory will be there. And when we talk about glory, I think most of you have some working definition of what that means. You may not wanna talk about it out loud because you'd be nervous to actually describe the definition that you have, but you know, it's a really awesome Bible word that we should know really well. 
What we are seeing here with the word glory is, is what most people would call the Shekinah glory. It's, it's the manifestation of God's presence. It's God being before his people in a physical way. And so you have it at different times where it's like a fire, like God's Shekinah glory, like God appearing as a fire or a smoke cloud. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? That's what, yeah, try to talk to somebody at Starbucks about that. Okay, like it's really, it's really interesting. God would show himself, he would manifest his presence in that particular way. There's even a scene where the priests go in to meet with God and the, the, the smoke, the cloud of smoke rushes them out of the room. They can't even stay in there because of how massive his glory was. We know that his glory is described oftentimes in words that it seems like the writer just couldn't even figure out what to pin. Like he didn't have in, his, in, his, uh, in the dictionary of his brain words that fit. So he's just like, it's like diamonds. It's like rubies. It's like thunder. It's like, he just tries to get anything out that he can. It's colorful. It's amazing. You can't look at it. And it, it, when the glory of God was spoken about and the, the Shekinah glory, the manifestation of God's presence, it, it was talked about in such a way that was magnificent that most of the time people couldn't, they couldn't look upon it or they would just die. Moses was invited to see it in part. And Moses would go in and he would meet with the Lord. It said that he spoke to him face to face. Now we're gonna find out in just a little bit that he couldn't look on his face or he would die. But he talked to him like a person would speak to another person. Like, like I would speak to someone and they would speak back to me. That's how God spoke with Moses. There's another great passage. It's in Numbers chapter 12. Some of you are like, there's a, tell me about Numbers. Like, you know, you've probably never read it in your life. Numbers chapter 12, there's a place where, where the, the presence of God makes himself known to Aaron and Miriam and Moses. They, they were being ugly about Moses. They were talking about him behind his back and God said, no, you won't. He didn't do that. He was way, way better than that. But he came and he said, you're not gonna do this. Moses of all people, there is not another person that I speak to like Moses. When I speak to him, I speak to him mouth to mouth. I, I speak to him. I get up close and personal with him. With these other prophets, I give him a vision. I give him a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. I speak to him face to face. It's really amazing. Moses had an incredible relationship with the Lord. And it was in this presence that he interceded on behalf of God's people, that he spoke to the Lord, that he was given the law, that he was given God's word to give to God's people. And so we see here in Exodus 33, a really clear picture of what I believe John is wanting us to think about when he says, but now the word became a human and he dwelt among us. He pitched his tent among us. We've seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. See, in Exodus, Moses hears the divine name of the Lord spoken by God himself and followed by God's word written on two stone tablets. But now here in John 1, God's word, his self-expression has become flesh. It's remarkable. It's here that we hear about uh, not just grace and truth discussed or proclaimed, but we see grace and truth in a person. We see Jesus as the ultimate expression of grace and as the supreme revelation of truth. See, John saw it and he invites us to see it, to see the glory of the Son of God. 
Jesus Christ. So the first thing I think we need to see is just the word dwell, like it's obvious. And I know you've heard it before, but we need to link it with the rest of the passage. The word became flesh and he pitched his tent among us. We have seen his glory. So let's look at the the next part. I want you not only to see God's dwelling or the word dwelt, but I want you to consider the word glory and God's glory in particular. And what you think about Exodus 33, when we have Moses who he's there with the Lord, he's meeting with him and he demands, he calls out he cries out. He says, please show me your glory. I want to see it. See, Moses had interaction with God face to face, but he said, I want more. He had interaction and communication with him mouth to mouth, but he said, I want more. Show me your glory. I want to see it. Let's look at what happens here. Look at verse 19 of chapter 33. It says, and he said, I will make all of my goodness. I love that. All of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But verse 20 says, but, He said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Look at Exodus 34. Verse, verses five and six. I want you to see when the Lord comes to him. It says that the Lord descended in the cloud and he stood with him there and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. I try to imagine this scene and I really can't. Like I just can't make, my brain cannot wrap around what it must've been like. Verse six says, the Lord passed by or passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Now, I had to do a little work, a little word working here, okay? But when you read this well-known description from the Lord of who he is, when you hear him talk about his goodness to Moses, what we see is his goodness is his glory. His glory is his goodness. And so when he stands and proclaims his goodness and his glory to Moses, what he says is this, He talks about his grace first. He talks about his mercy first. And what he says is this. He uses a word that we should know. It's a word in the Hebrew, it's hesed. If you study the book of Ruth, it's one of my favorite, it is my favorite Old Testament book. If you study the book of Ruth, it's about the hesed of God. Uh, there's many different places. The book of Hosea, it's about his hesed. It's about, in the English, we try our best. We say like steadfast love. Steadfast love and faithfulness. We do the best that we can. 
but it's really more than that. It's really all of the positive attributes of God. It's all of his goodness displayed in one word, has said. It's really grace and truth. It's graciousness and faithfulness. The word faithfulness is really the word that we get truth, okay? So it's, when God displays his goodness to Moses, when he proclaims his glory to Moses, Moses says, show me your glory. And he says, well, you can't see my face, but you can see my back. When he walks by and he says, I'm a, the Lord, the Lord, I am gracious. I am grace and I am truth. That's really what he is declaring. And what we find in John 1 is John writing, he says, the word became flesh. He pitched his tent among us. We went in, we saw his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of what? Grace and truth. Jesus, he is the richest, the most full expression of God's grace. Jesus, he's a supreme revelation of God's truth wrapped up in one. We'll look at that more next week. But we see the point is this. If you want to see the glory of God, look to Jesus. In fact, the glory of God is Jesus Christ. We see that here in John 1. So if you haven't been able to tell what John's doing, he's obviously leading us here to have a contrast, to contrast Christ with Moses. And so that's the third thing we wanna do. We wanna not only see the, the word, you know, dwelt, that he pitched his tent, which I think points us back to Exodus 33, but we all, then we wanna see the glory. The glory that we see in Christ is the glory that Moses was pointing to in chapter 33. But then we wanna see here a contrast that takes place and it takes place in John chapter one. And so if you look with me there at verse, really verses 16 to 18. <clears throat> it says, for from his fullness, from the fullness of Christ, from the completion of the work of Christ, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, this is gonna connect us back to Moses as well. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at their father's side. He has made him known. I want you to consider verses 16 and 17 in this contrast that we have given by John for us and for our good. He's gonna make the point that Jesus is the glory, that Jesus is the ultimate expression of grace. Jesus is the supreme revelation of truth. He's saying, I saw it, now I want you to see it. And he's gonna continue making an argument. Here's his argument. He is contrasting Christ with Moses, but here's the thing. Not because the law of God that was given there in Exodus 33 and 34. Not because the law is not a gracious gift, because it is. Everybody in the room needs to understand the law is a grace to us. It is a gracious gift. That's why verse 16 refers to us receiving grace upon grace. It's kind of like this, it's first there was one grace and now there's another. 
See, there's different interpretations of this text, but the main one that I hear is grace in place of grace. It's now it's one grace that's thrown out and another grace is lifted up. That's not exactly what John is teaching us here. He's really saying it's grace on top of grace or grace unto grace. It's grace and then now another one, a fulfillment of the other. What he's saying is this, is I want you to see how Jesus Christ is superior, how the glory that we see in him, it far outweighs the glory of the previous. He doesn't say we toss it out. He says we actually need it to see how glorious and weighty the glory of Jesus truly is. Christ bringing the fullness of grace and truth. And here, if you're taking notes, you might wanna write this down. The contrast that, God, that, that John is showing us is that Moses points to grace, but Jesus performs grace. John, Moses points to grace. Jesus performs grace. Moses reports the words of God. Jesus is the word of God. The law mirrors the light of God. Jesus is the light of God. The contrast continues. Listen, Moses, he saw the presence of God. He even interacted with the presence of God. Jesus is the presence of God. Moses, we saw last week, he lifted up the snake in the wilderness. Jesus himself was lifted up. Moses gave the manna from heaven, but Jesus himself is the true bread from heaven. Moses wrote about Christ, but Christ was Christ. The law of Moses was the word of God but Christ is God, the word. The difference is one is the pointer, the other, the performer. It's grace upon grace. From his fullness, from the fullness of the outworking of Christ, we receive grace upon grace. It's the fullness of what we experience. Exodus 33 and 34 finds its fullness as we see Christ, the glory. I want you to see this also, and we'll look at this kind of in closing. I want you to see what Paul has to say about Moses in the same scene and ultimately what he has to say about glory. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter three. I, a couple of weeks ago, I, I picked up this Bible and I was gonna read 2 Corinthians 5 and I opened up and it was not in here. Okay, so I don't know when it fell out. I don't know where it went. If you see my 2 Corinthians, give it back to me, okay? Like I, I have no idea where it is. So, so today my Bible is gonna sit here and I'm gonna read from uh, 2 Corinthians off this, this page. I have no idea where it went. <clears throat> so after Moses met with the Lord, so after he met with him there in the cleft of the rock, after he, he showed him, uh, his back and he proclaimed to him his glory, his goodness. I wanna read to you what we're told in Exodus 34. This is starting in verse 29. It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai 
with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin on his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, we're told that he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he, what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and then Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Now, I remember hearing about this, and I, I've, I feel like I've heard it communicated uh, this way, that Moses would actually veil his face when he would get in front of the people because his face was so bright. But that's actually not the case. He would actually show his face and they would see it shining. So they knew he would have been with the Lord. And he would declare to them the word that he had heard from the Lord. And then he would cover back up his face. Now, I didn't really think much about that until a few years ago when I studied 2 Corinthians 3. And then I found something very interesting that Paul tells us. And so I want you to go to uh, 2 Corinthians 3. And I want you to see verse 12. Uh, here and, and actually the whole chapter is wonderful and it talks about you know the, the glory of Jesus as opposed to the glory of the law. Uh, it, it's fantastic. But I want you to see here today, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 12. We're told since we have such a hope, we're very bold, but not like Moses. And I don't know about you, but when I read any time I read, be bold, but not like Moses, I'm, I'm a little shocked. This guy that to the Lord said, show me your glory. Like who wrestled to see God's glory more than Moses? And yet we're told to have such a hope and be very bold, but not like Moses. Well, what does he mean? Who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. He's saying he put something over his face so they wouldn't see that it faded. So they wouldn't see that it was going away. Moses couldn't have possibly understood what we understand now, but he knew he didn't want them to be disheartened, disappointed because the, the, the glory of God that was shining off his face, it was fading away from him. And so he would veil his face so that they wouldn't see that it was coming to an end. Verse 14 tells us, but their hearts or their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ it's taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil's removed. Verse 17 says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Verse 18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, that is Jesus, are being transformed into the same image 
That is Jesus. From one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Second Corinthians chapter four talks to us about the glory, clarifies what we know from first, I mean from John 1, 14 to 18. He says this. He says, verse five, for we proclaim, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but is Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. How? In the face of Jesus Christ. Today, I wanted you to see the glory that John saw and I wanted you to understand the grace that we now receive. I wanted you to see the glory that John saw. It was Jesus Christ and the grace that we receive in Christ Jesus. In just closing out and thinking about what it is that we've talked about today, I want you to think about the way that the Lord dwells, the heart that he has for his people, to pitch a tent, to dwell, to be with us. In creation, we saw him with Adam and Eve dwelling, walking with, speaking with them face to face. After the fall of God, we see his redemptive work begin as he makes a way to dwell with his people. Once again, they could pitch a tent. They built a tabernacle. Later, a temple came and God would dwell with his people. The Shekinah glory would be there. He'd manifest his presence with them. But then we come to the advent and Jesus Christ, he dwells with us. He is present with us. He walks with us. He was present on this earth. God became a man and he dwelled. He pitched his tent among us. Jesus ascends to the Father. Today, we who believe, we receive his grace and we receive his spirit. We receive the spirit of God who his word says dwells in us, his temple. One day, second advent, he comes again and we're told that he once again pitches a tent, but he pitches it in a final way. He pitches his tent and he dwells with his people. God will be with his people. His people will be with their God. And he does it in a final way. Revelation 21. We're told in Revelation 22 verse five that one day we will see his face. How amazing is God's word? From cover to cover, he is displaying and proclaiming to us what we see clearly in the word became flesh. He dwelt among us. He pitched his tent among us. We've seen his glory, that of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We can see what John saw and we can receive Now what he calls us to receive, it is Jesus himself. So today, if you have never received Christ, know that he's here, know that he meets you where you are. Doesn't matter where you are in this life. That's exactly where Jesus Christ will meet you. That's exactly where he will present himself to you. That's where he'll save you. That's where the Holy Spirit will indwell you. That's where the promises of God will meet you. Today, if you're a Christian, but for some reason you think that God's forgotten about you, you think that you've gone too far away, you think that you've been too lazy in your prayer time or meeting with him, know this today, that the Lord is with you and will meet with you closer than he met with Moses. 
Moses met with him face to face. He'll meet with you anytime. You don't have to go to the tent of meeting. You are the tent of meeting. He will meet with you now. He's with you. He's for you. He's never against you. His grace is given freely to you. When we want to see the goodness of God, look to Christ. When we want to understand the glory of God, see it in Jesus. He'll meet us with his grace. Moses was the pointer. Jesus is the performer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I ask that you would use it today to draw us so near to your son or that with unveiled face that we would behold Jesus Christ. Lord, that together in this place, we would understand how amazing it is that there are people who have been believers for 50 plus years. There's been people who have been believers maybe for 50 plus seconds. And that all of us in the room, that we're able to behold one Christ and we're being transformed into one image, that of Christ Jesus. From one to glory, one glory to the next, you're doing that work in our lives. Your word promises us that what you begin, you will complete. And you're doing that in this room, even today through the the preaching of your word. God, I ask that you would transform. I ask that you would bring people to faith in Christ. I pray, Lord, that people would be saved and people would find hope and people would experience grace. They would leave this place extending grace and making a difference and loving their neighbors and changing the world. I pray that you do that as we behold your son. Do that work in our midst today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.